if you and your organization or you if you're a solo impact practitioner have a deep and passionate commitment to constant learning, to constant improvement, then your impact is going to be significantly greater than if you don't. It's that simple. Welcome to the Journey to Impact podcast, where we show you how to turn your unique passion into a strategy to change the world. If anyone wants to achieve a high level of success in business, athletics, or any other area in life, one thing they'll need to prioritize is continuous improvement. The same holds true if you want to be successful in your impact efforts. In this episode, Ed will talk about this, and he calls it relentless forward progress. He breaks it down and then gives you five steps you can use in the process of pursuing relentless forward progress. It's time to get off the bench. Let's do this. Here's your host, Ed Gillentine. We've really covered a lot of ground, and today we're going to talk about the idea of relentless forward progress, how you can build it in as a process to your organization or to your impact strategies, and most importantly, how you can build it into your DNA. Coach John Wooden said this, it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. Continuous improvement was a concept that became popular back in the 60s in business school, and it's been taught there pretty consistently in all the major business schools since the 70s, imported from the Japanese and their idea of continuous improvement. And as its name suggests, it gives you the idea of constantly, consistently, and continuously seeking to improve your product, your process, or your service. So from the business community and business schools, that idea of continuous improvement sort of spread its tentacles into almost every area of our lives and in our economy and our culture here in the U.S. And, and I would say it's, uh, it's a pretty positive development. And if you think about it within the context of a journey to impact, continual refinement, continuous improvement, or what we're going to call relentless forward progress is really critical. We talked about it earlier But the idea of embracing failure, embracing imperfections, while at the same time not settling for them is really important. And we've mentioned this several times too, the scope of the challenges and issues that we're wrestling with in our world today, I don't believe allow for mediocrity, right? And so the idea of relentlessly pursuing perfection to steal I think it used to be Lexus's old uh, tagline, but the idea of relentlessly pursuing perfection for the greater good, I think is a really important value to have. I don't mind failure, right? But I really hate it when I fail and don't learn something. Failure that doesn't lead to learning is waste. So the most important point I want to make in this chapter, just like most of the principles that we've talked about, is that continuous improvement, relentless forward progress is intentional. It's not going to happen on its own. If you and your organization or you, if you're a solo impact practitioner, have a deep and passionate commitment to constant learning, to constant improvement, then your impact is going to be significantly greater than if you don't. It's that simple. And you don't do this just once or twice. You do it consistently over a very long period of time. And it has to become just as much a part of your DNA as your unique definition and impact mission. When I think about relentless forward progress, I believe there's three keys we need to talk about. First is asking questions. The second key is listening. 
And the third key is taking action. We've all heard somebody say, if you don't ask the right questions, you're never going to get the right answer, right? And if that's true, which I think it is, then you really need to focus on the question you're asking at least as much as the answers you're trying to get at. And figuring out the question to ask is, to me, one of the hardest things that I have to deal with. It's hard work, but if it's mission critical, and if we're committed to not settling for mediocrity, then we really have no choice, right? We just got to do it. Don't just show up at a meeting without thinking about the questions you're going to ask. Many times, it means you're going to have to schedule a subsequent meeting so that you can think about what you heard in the first meeting and develop new and more insightful questions. We briefly mentioned Raps for Girls in one of our previous podcasts, and I think the process that they went through in honing their impact strategy is a good example of the idea of relentless forward progress as it relates to asking the right questions. Most people would agree that basic education is a key strategy to getting kids and populations out of poverty, as well as it gives them a voice against those that would oppress them. And initially, the questions that were being asked in my adopted country of Ethiopia was related to how the government basically could force kids to go to school, right, via a legal mandate. But in a culture where structure in the lives of children is not emphasized very much, mandating school attendance like we do here in the U.S. is not really effective. And so then the question changed, right? And you sort of see the process that we're talking about. And it became more about how children could be attracted to the school so that they would want to come and it's, it's more fun. So they developed better teaching methods. Um, they tried to have better classroom environments and so on. And they made a little bit more progress. And finally, one of the main questions that came up was more about what was keeping children from coming to school. And it turned out that for girls, there was at least one relatively simple answer. Girls in rural areas were missing out on school because they had little, or in some cases, many cases, no access to basic feminine hygiene products. It's not that they didn't want to go to school. It's not that they hated the subject matter or that their teachers were terrible that they either couldn't afford basic hygiene products or that they were not available. And as they started tracking this down, they found that research showed that a girl missing an average of four school days per month had a significant negative impact on her falling behind. And by falling behind, it ultimately led to the little girl dropping out of school. And so what this organization that I mentioned earlier wraps which stands for Washable, Reusable, Affordable Pads, they developed a strategy for providing basic feminine hygiene kits to girls in Ethiopia, which increased the likelihood of them attending school, right? So that's a, in my mind, one of the best examples I've noticed of simply asking the right question, which is what is keeping girls out of school versus what will attract them to come to school? Does that make sense? If asking questions is important, and it is, then listening to the answers is equally important, right? So if you get the question right, but you don't pay attention to the answer, what good is that going to do you? I can share some of my experiences in Ethiopia, and the way I like to communicate is to listen out loud, right? But one of the problems with that is that many times others think that I don't really want to hear what they have to say, or I simply don't let them finish a thought before I start thinking out loud, right? So I have to really focus on listening in critical conversation. And for me, that means taking notes and restating what I think I've heard, allowing for some dead air, 
and not worrying if somebody else jumps in before I do. We've all heard the cliche, we've got two ears and one mouth, right? So you do the math. I can't tell you how many times I've taken months or years to figure out the answer to a question that if I had been listening to the stakeholders, I would have gotten the answer almost at the beginning. I asked the right question, but then I failed to listen to the answer. And the stakeholders ended up having to repeat themselves over and over until I heard them. I think it's worth mentioning that asking the right question and listening and getting the answers is much more challenging when you're in a different culture. You think about it, the the U.S. is a fairly transactional culture. And when we go to the grocery store, we don't have to have small talk with the person checking us out. When we go to get our car fixed, we don't really have to have any small talk to the mechanic. And even if you're in the waiting room, you don't feel like you have to talk to the people there. You're there for a purpose. So, you know, when you get outside of the U.S., they're a lot more relational, which you'd call a hot culture versus maybe a cold culture to use some sociology terms. And most other cultures use a lot of nuance. You know, I may feel like in Ethiopia, they're not communicating clearly or they're telling me what I want to hear. You know, sometimes you can tell when people are trying to fish for what you want to hear and then they say that. You know, that can get pretty frustrating. When we first started working in Ethiopia, we probably took, I say we, probably took me four or five years before I was really getting, I'm not going to say good or adept at, but at least competent at listening and picking up on the nuances. Part of that was because I got more comfortable with the culture and I started to understand it better. Right? But part of it was because I was working really hard on listening. Um, as a side note, there's a really good book called African Friends and Money Matters, and it's written, I want to say, in the 70s or 80s by some anthropologists that had been working in Africa for a really long time. And it talks about the differences in how they view and communicate about money across the continent of Africa. I would say, as a sidebar, if, if you're going to do projects in the continent of Africa, there are two books I would read before I even went over there, right? One would be African Friends and Money Matters, because it is a lot different. And if you read this book, you will speed up your process of understanding cultures and nuances related to money in Africa. The other one is a book we mentioned in a previous podcast called When Helping Hurts by Brian Figgert. So if you're thinking about Africa and working over there, I would definitely get those books. We talked about asking the right question, and we talked about listening because it does no good if you get the question right or multiple layers of questions and then you don't pay attention. But then you have to take action, right? And the idea of relentless forward progress is typically small incremental adjustments, right? There's rarely major changes. You go back and you tweak it. But if you don't take the action, nothing's going to change, right? So when you think about continuous improvement, relentless forward progress, the key principles, and I want to reiterate them or repeat them to emphasize them, are asking questions, then listening to the stakeholders, and then taking action. I want to talk about how do you make relentless forward progress a part and parcel to the processes in your organization or if you're a solo impact practitioner into how you review and grade how you're doing. And I think there's really five pretty simple steps. First, you got to get it on your calendar. Then you need to revisit 
your passion, your experience, and your skills and see if they've changed any, right? See if you need to tweak anything. Third thing you need to do is review those signs of success we discussed a couple of podcasts ago and grade yourself on them. And, and the signs of success we talked about are not exhaustive, so you may need to add some more. Fourthly, you need to revisit the warning signs and grade yourself on that. And then lastly, you need to revisit and evaluate the tactical and technical issues and make sure that those are still on track. So let's, let's dive into this in a little bit of detail. The first step in the process of relentless forward progress is to get it on your calendar. And that doesn't simply mean you do it once a year or whenever it's on your calendar. It means that it's important to you, right? It's mission critical, and that's why it's on the calendar. The things you put on your calendar are going to force you to get them done. They're in your face, right? They force you to make a decision. And if you want to build a culture of relentless forward progress, you will have to put it on your calendar. Because when things get crazy, and you know they're going to, you know that on a periodic basis, once a year, twice a year, whatever it is, your calendar is going to force you to sit down and think about how you can improve and how you can get better. So the second step is to revisit whether your passion, your experiences, and your skills have changed. And I would suggest to you that while your passions may not change much, they can in some cases, they typically don't. But while they may not change much, the other two areas, your experiences and your skills, are almost impossible to not change. Your experience is going to be deeper and wider. Your skill levels are going to be increasing. In addition to that, your resources are going to have increased or decreased or shifted at least. And as you take note of these changes, most likely in your experience and your skills, you have to ask yourself, do you need to make some changes to your strategies or your tactics? When we first started in Ethiopia, it probably took us five years to look through all the different options on the uh, strategy side of what we wanted to do. I mean, we looked at probably 15 different businesses. The ones I remember most clearly were chickens, printing presses, manufacturing soap, storage, cold storage. We looked at a lot of different things. By the way, <laughs> one of the reasons we we ended up in apples and not chickens, we, we felt like we had the experience for chickens. Um, it was certainly in the ag field, and, and our team was really good with ag expertise and knowledge and training. You know, there's a lot of risk to live animals, but particularly chickens. You, you need, you know, thousands of them in your facility. And if one person decides to come in with some sort of germ on their shoes, it can wipe out ten or 20,000 chickens, you know, in two or three days. Well, that's a huge expense. The other thing is that chickens are just mean, right? I, had, I always thought they were kind of cute little chicks that you see at Easter. Uh, there's, there's a lot to that pecking order idea. They have the pecking order. And the lower you are, the more you get pecked. And I've seen chickens, if they get mad enough, they literally will peck the chickens below them to death. It's really quite brutal when they're lower on the pecking order. I've, all, I've often thought my, my youngest son loves sharks. And so occasionally you'll see a commercial for a shark terror movie, you know, like Sharknado or something crazy like that. I've often thought if they could combine chickens with a bull shark, that would be an epic horror movie. But I digress. We were talking about how your passions and your experiences and your skills may have changed. Well, we ended up going from chickens to apples because the more we looked at it, there was more risk in these other opportunities relative to our metrics for risk. And there was greater opportunity to reach more people 
and use our skill set specifically on the apple side of ag than on the chicken. And so, again, that took a really long time. It took a lot of questions. It took a lot of revisiting. And I'm not saying you need to take five years. Please don't hear that. But I am saying you need to wrestle with it. And if at least once a year you're asking yourself, do we need to make some changes, that's going to go a long way. After you look at those experiences and skills, then you have to ask yourself, does our strategic plan align with them? Do our actions align? And is everything kosher? I mentioned, I think in maybe the very first podcast, that Liz and I originally thought we were going to be able to be more involved in the actual care of the at-risk kids in Ethiopia. We thought we'd be holding babies, wiping snotty noses, playing soccer, you know, teaching English as a second language, all those sort of hands-on deals. But we learned over the course of a couple of years that we were there that we weren't equipped to serve at-risk children in a different culture with different physical, mental, and emotional wounds and scars. And so during that process, though, we did learn a lot about at-risk children, and we became better able to communicate effectively to raise funds, to promote awareness, to recruit people that were actually trained in the field to come and help. And we didn't realize we were doing this at the time, but we were going through this process of relentless forward progress. We just didn't know it. And as we asked the questions, the hard questions, and faced up to the hard answers, we changed our strategy and our tactics. And I think that because of that, we've had a greater and more sustainable impact. Now, the third step that we talked about in this process is to go back over those signs of success and grade yourself on them. And I don't want to revisit them, but I want to briefly read through those just as a reminder. And you can go back to the previous uh, podcast and, and get it in detail. But are you being strategic in your impact? Are you focused or do you think you're drifting? Is your impact strategy sustainable? And how is that progress that you've been making, how does it compare to your sustainability metrics, right? Is it catalytic? Are you doing no harm? Take a hard look at what you're doing. Ask yourself, are we doing no harm? It's so easy to unintentionally fall into that. And that's why it's an important thing to ask. Are you being selfless? Is your organization being selfless? Is the DNA of your organization being selfless? When was the last time you asked somebody else's opinion inside your field? Revisit those signs of success and then take a look at the warning signs. Are there any warning signs that are sort of starting to flash in your organization or with your strategy if you're a solo practitioner? Know it all ahead. You remember that? Are you not listening to the ideas of others anymore? Meandering lanes ahead is sort of the opposite of focus. Are you not staying focused on your unique impact strategies and sectors? Are you reinventing the wheel, right? When was the last time you read a book related to successful impact in your field? When was the last time you attempted to collaborate with a colleague? Are you driven by fear? Are you driven by urgency? You find yourself working 15 hours a day, seven days a week, right? That's a danger sign. Are you in intense discouragement? It's okay, but you don't want to stay there long. And that's, if you'll remember, we talked about writing down your successes. Writing down your failures, I think, is also good because you see that out of those failures come some successes. You're going to experience failure, but you've got to figure out a way to get through it. So is discouragement eating you alive? 
One of my favorites. Are you becoming the rich expert? Don't do that. Just because you've got a lot of money or you're funding an organization doesn't make you an expert. So now that we've been through the first four steps, you get it on your calendar. You revisit your passion, your experience, your skills, see if anything's changed. You revisit the signs of success and the warning signs. Now you need to look really hard at the tactical and the technical issues, which is the last part of this process. And this is where the area where I see the most adjustments along the journey to impact. I can tell you that in our projects, we make a lot of tactical and technical changes. I think originally at the Apple Orchard, we felt like there was plenty of groundwater and spring water, so we didn't feel like we needed a well. But turned out we did as much for bureaucratic issues and protections in droughts that come every 10 years as it was for consistency of irrigation to the crops. Another big change we made is we didn't realize we needed a office in Addis and the farm. It just makes no sense to me. But bureaucratically, culturally, how you have to deal with taxes and licenses and all that stuff over there, we had to have an office in Addis and, um, and of course, the location there at the farm. How many people did we need? Initially, we thought we would need one apple technician for every 10 hectares of apple seedlings. So think about a thousand seedlings per technician. Well, it turned out we needed two, right? So there's a million questions you have to ask and there are a million things you can change, but this is an area where you want to be probably quicker to change than slower. And they're not all going to work out, but you have to ask the questions and they need to be driven by your strategy. By the way, I would add, when you're talking about technical and technical issues, This is where the tools in your toolbox and the knowledge and skill with which you use them can produce some really significant benefits. And I know uh, that's later on in our podcast, but when you think about organizational structure, tax planning, the use of tax beneficial regulations, impact metrics, those can be really powerful. But in my experience, those are the tools that become more effective once you've been in the trenches for a little bit. As you go through and we're going to wrap up this session, as you go through this process of relentless forward progress, I want you to take away that it's a crucial part of your journey to impact. It never ends. It never reaches perfection, but it's a discipline. That's probably the best word I can use for it. It's a discipline, maybe one of the most difficult disciplines to build, but if you can make it a part of your DNA as an impact practitioner and an impact organization, your likelihood of achieving significant catalytic and generational impact increases significantly. So until our next podcast, keep these three words in mind. Embrace, build, act. That is embrace your unique vision of impact. Continue to build on your unique impact strategy and act. Get off the bench. Get into the game because the world needs you. Remember, ask the questions, listen to the answers, and take action. If you want to go back and listen to any of the previous episodes where Ed goes into the details of the five steps he mentioned, you can find all of those at edgillentine.com. That's E-D-G-I-L-L-E-N-T-I-N-E.com. Until next time, embrace, build, act.